good news letter and uh, paid attention to the notices. But over the next few Sundays, uh, the theme that Andy's going to take up is going to be our vision. And um, that's going to take five Sundays. And um, I thought that as a fellowship here, it would be good before we start that and look at those uh, specific uh, parts of the of Paul's letters, principally that uh, Andy has uh, selected, to set the scene, to to think about and to look at what we mean by a church. And uh, those of you that know me would know two things about that. One is I wouldn't go to anywhere other than the Bible to. Um, to deal with that, and two, that I very much believe in church, in the local church, in the fellowship of people in the place where they find themselves. And so I thought it would be good to us reflect upon who we are as a fellowship, as a church community. In the newsletter, Andy says that we're going to reflect upon who we are as a church community and explore some of the values that underpin us. And so today I thought it would be a good start to set the scene if we just looked at what a church is. To put it one way, on a slide it's going to appear by magic. Who we are, and what we do. And I don't believe that that has changed for all those years. Okay, we're different today. We have technology. Some of us cope with that better than others, as has been illustrated this morning. But, and, you know, we meet in a, a, a dedicated uh, building, as it, as it were. We, we, yes, we have different lifestyles. But the principles of being church, I do not believe, have changed. And so I thought it would be good this morning if we just looked at the birth of the church as it's recorded uh, in Acts uh, chapter 2. Malcolm read uh, Peter's sermon in order to set that scene. Uh, it's not my intention to, to um, uh, comment really on Peter's sermon this morning. Although what we read there is really tremendous. And uh, it would be the subject of very many sermons. But I, what I want us to, to see is that as a consequence of Peter's message, something happened. And that, I believe, still holds good for today. So we're going to do um, a lot of scripture this morning because we're going to carry on now and read from uh, verse uh, 36 where Malcolm ended on to the end so at verse 36 therefore let all Israel be assured of this God has made this Jesus whom you crucified both Lord and Christ when the people heard this 
they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are, who are afar off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted this message were baptised and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So as we uh, see Peter uh, preaches a sermon and those verses are the culmination of it. But as we look back over those words, what do you recognise as being the key in that sermon? What's the message? Who or what is the sermon about? Do you know it's not, as you easily recognise, it's not about ideas. It's not about good living. It's not about keeping uh, the law. The whole focus is the person of the Lord Jesus. You read through it and you'll see it comes out time and time again. Peter shows uh, clearly uh, how he was spoken of in prophecy. He reminds them of what was to them very recent history, the events of the day. What, you know, if uh, those things happen in this day and age, what would have been appearing on our television screens, aside from the Olympics and so on. It was current affairs. They knew exactly who he was talking about when he said Jesus of Nazareth. They knew exactly the events that took place when he reminded them that they took him and crucified him. So to them it was all very fresh. And we read in those verses that there was a result, there was a response. And here we have to notice that the response was not from everybody. There were some. It sounds tremendous, does it, to read at the end about, uh, you know, 3,000 So we wouldn't get 3,000 in this church, would we? You know, but we'd be thrilled, wouldn't we, to fill it up with people who love the Lord. That sounds great, doesn't it? 
But we have to remind ourselves that there were more than 3,000 people there. That there were those who accepted this message and there were those who rejected it. But when we look at this um, question of who we are, what is church? Who makes up church? Well, verse 41 tells us. It is those who accepted his message and were baptised. Those are the people that made up the church that we read about later on. So if we just uh, get the next slide. I hope you don't mind slides. I find it helps me to put down some bullet points when I'm trying to prepare this. And I think, well, might as well share it with you. Do you know, sometimes we sing that song, don't we? It's all about you, Jesus. Uh, And it is, isn't it? Or it ought to be. And the very reason there's a church here is because of him. He's the foundation of the church, the church universal, the worldwide church. The church is made up of every person that believes in him. But he's the foundation of our church here too. He ought to be the very centre of everything. The reason that we do what we do. The reason that we're here. The reason we're here this morning and that's church in Acts and our church here is made up of those who believe in him believe that he is indeed the son of God those that have recognised their sins and repented of it you know that's not a very popular idea is it the idea of repenting of your sins being sorry for what you have done sometimes we don't feel particularly sorry our inclination perhaps is more to justify our actions rather than acknowledge them to be wrong actions to seek forgiveness to acknowledge him as lord and let's not be afraid i'm saying this to myself because you don't have to be afraid do you but i'm the one here Let's not be afraid to speak about baptism. We are a Baptist church. We do believe in baptism. That it's not something magical. It's not a baptism that washes your sins away. Nothing can wash away my sin. Nothing but the blood of Jesus, the old hymn says. And that's true. No, the baptism is the outward declaration that you belong to him that you've died to an old life and you've risen again to a new life and you want everybody to know it baptisms were public things these people in Jerusalem who cried out and turned to God in repentance and changed their lives did it in a public way not in a hole in a corner way not probably in the case of baptism behind closed doors but whenever they could find a stretch of water you remember John's baptisms took place in the river Jordan so the church is made up of people of individuals church universal and the church local but there is a kind of qualification now we mustn't be misunderstood. Our doors, they're closed at the moment, but they're glass so people can see. 
that our doors are open to anybody. There is no um, you know, qualification to come in and be part of what we are here. But the church that's here is made up of those who have given themselves to the Lord, who accept what he has done for them and realize their need of him, who have become really nothing that he might make them something. And there's something we could explore for some time. I think sometimes because we want to reach out for everybody, we're a little bit gentle about it. We're a bit non-confrontational about it. And aren't bold enough like Peter to say, look, you're in a mess. Repent. Turn away from it. Turn back to God. I'm of the generation, you can tell from some of the songs that we choose, I'm of the generation that remembers the Billy Grahams and the Louis Pallas of this world. Those great uh, comings together of people where people in their hundreds did walk out to the front. I'm not very sure about that, but they did, didn't they? They made a public uh, declaration. I mean, Billy Graham could uh, preach for 15 minutes and then it would take half an hour for everybody to get to the front. I remember once we, we did go, not with, I, think, I don't think Jill came with us, it was uh, when I was a bit younger, before we got together, and I remember going to some, I can't remember where it was in London, um, but it was a big place anyway, that, um, and uh, we went to Billy Graham. Some, no, no, it was after that, because that, that does predate me, I'm not that old. Um, it was a one you know, and uh, anyway, we, we couldn't, it was... Um, it was an overflow, and we were in the overflow. Look, it was quite rowdy, because there was a screen, you know. And I remember that when the call went out for people to go forward, it wasn't so much what we saw, it's what we heard. Because this place had steps going down, and you could hear the footfall of people as they steadily made their way out. And there are people to this day who you meet from time to time and they say oh yeah I was saved at the Billy Graham at so and so so and so but in those days we seem to be more bold the likes of Billy Graham and Louis Palo and people in churches who kind of followed their lead seem to be more willing to say to folks that you need to turn to God that it isn't just about getting cosy on a Sunday morning that there's more to it than that. Peter, of course, had um, experience of this, didn't he? You remember back in Matthew when the Lord said to the disciples at one time, you know, who do people say I am? And they said, oh, some say you're this and some say that. And he said, well, who do you say I am? And it was only Peter who was bold enough to speak out and say, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And that's what God asked of us. To acknowledge his son for who he is. And uh, you remember that uh, the Lord told Peter that it was on that rock, on that truth, that his church would be built. And this church, this fellowship here, go to the website and look at uh, our, you know, where we write down what we believe. It's built on that rock, on that truth, that Jesus is the son of God. That he came and he gave his life for us. 
and that we need to turn to him in repentance. So these uh, people that we read about, they were they became a church. Of course, there was an existing community of disciples, and they were added of, who were followers of Jesus, and they were added to that, and it became a church as, in the sense that we would recognize a church. And I believe that that church sets out a scriptural pattern for the church of any age. As I said earlier on, um, you know, I believe in church. There are some people who say you can be a Christian without being part of a church. You can function in isolation. Another little illustration for you here. Now it's a good thing that little Joshua's not here, isn't it? Because he's fond of zebras. And, um, but you see, the lion, when it hunts, stalks the herd, be it the zebras or the antelope or whatever. And it picks out the lame and the weak. And it, because they're lagging behind from the rest of the herd. And it cuts them out. And that's nature, isn't it? That's how it works. The weakest are culled, as it were, and the strong survive. But it illustrates how that if we feel that we can survive outside of the church, outside of the fellowship, the encouragement of others, the, the, the reacting and working together with other Christians, the talking of our Saviour with other Christians, the reading and discussing of his word with other Christians, the praying together with other Christians... We'll come into this later, but you know, you get what I'm saying. If we feel that we can function outside of that, I think we're rather like the, uh, we've fallen behind the herd and we're prey, we're easy prey to Satan. Here's a little contrasting illustration. It's a bit difficult to see, but I love penguins. And in the Antarctic, yes, when the temperatures drop to levels that we can't imagine they huddle together for warmth for days and days on end and they rotate those on the outside make their way to the inside and those on the inside make their way to the outside what a picture of dependence upon one another what a picture of real togetherness. That's the penguin church for you. So next time you see a penguin, think of the church like that. They huddle together and uh, they keep one another warm and indeed alive. So, who we are, we're those that trust God, we're those that believe in his son Jesus who have repented of our sins and have turned to him and want to live a life for him. And how do we do that in the context of the church? What we do. This is uh, set out for us here in Acts. And um, I do really believe that no matter how Modern or trendy or new idea ish, we might become. 
The things that we see here are vital to being church. I'm not sure that, you know, everybody would perhaps see that, but that's how I see it. We might uh, do these things in different ways. Um, We are, after all, you know, we have our sort of culture, our 21st century um, culture, as it were. But these things, I believe, we can't leave out. We can't dismiss. We can't put to one side. It tells us here that they continued in the apostles' uh, teaching. Well, first of all, it says that they were devoted to. In other words, they took these things seriously. They mattered. I have a little book at home. It's a very thin book, like that. And it's called Church Matters. But it's a play on words. I mean, Church Matters. It's Church Matters. About church government. But I, I look at it time to time and remind myself that church matters. To these people, all these things began to matter. They became the most important thing. In the authorised version, um, it uses the word steadfastly, which I guess gives a picture, doesn't it, of um, kind of not turning back from it, kind of a single-mindedness about it. And that's what we need to have in church life. So what were they devoted to? They were devoted to the apostles' teaching, to the study of God's word. Today we have a Bible, a complete Bible, a scripture that uh, we're reminded of in Timothy is God-breathed. It comes from God. And that we're to use it. It's the basis for what we, for what we say. There's no other source of instruction or guidance. If we neglect it, then we'll be underfed. We'll be under-resourced. We won't have the tools to serve him. You can, there's another illustration in a toolbox, but there We won't have the tools to serve him. And I'm not talking here about just about knowledge, you know, about knowing what's in the Bible and what the Bible is. I'm talking about using the Bible to discover God's heart and mind for each of us as a fellowship and individually. And Sunday by Sunday, whether it's me or Andy or Simon as we had last week or Paul the week before thankfully we all have a Bible and that's the basis of what we speak from fellowship of course this prompts great discussion doesn't it really the extent of their fellowship of their living together the, for example, if you think about it, it would not be physically possible for 3,000 plus people to gather together for a meal in one home. So there must have been some sort of 
But the, the desire to be with each other, the desire to share everything, the desire to be together each day, be it in the temple or whatever. Can you imagine that? Well, I know somebody can, but can the rest of you imagine being in my company every day? No, it's not easy, is it? Of course it isn't. Truthfully, it's a difficult concept in our culture and lifestyle. But what saddens me, and it's why I introduce what I had to say by saying I believe in church, what saddens me and I'll share this with you because I have shared it with others, is that we seem to gravitate to the other extreme. And we seem to manage an hour or so on a Sunday at a stretch. And thereafter, well, you know. The writer to the Hebrews, and we're doing a bit of Hebrews for what's left this morning, says... Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing. But let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Hebrews 10, verse 25. The Hebrews that the writer was writing to, was it Paul, was it Peter? I think it was Peter. Everybody says it's Paul, but I'm I'm a perverse sort of person in some ways, and I think it's Peter. And if you want me to explain to you why, I will later. But... The thing is this, they were being persecuted. It wasn't wasn't an easy thing to hear somebody saying to you, stop missing out on the church meetings. Stop missing the prayer meeting. It wasn't an easy thing to say because they were in danger. Are we in danger? So stop missing out. Then it moves on to uh, communion. When it uh, speaks here about the uh, breaking of bread, that's what it's a reference to. This was their worship. This is what it began with, with a remembrance of the Lord in the way that he commanded. I know today, again, you know, we have different practices and things happen in a different way, but the principle remains good that we need to remind ourselves continually of what God has done for us through his son Jesus. And our worship of him is the evidence of our faith, our response to God, our response to a saviour who gave himself for us and asks us to live for him. Our lives should not be a form of constant worship. And again in Hebrews we read... uh, 13, 16, do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. Your life, my life, day by day, is a form of worship. Prayer, I'm racing on a little bit, I'm conscious of the time. Prayer demonstrates our dependence on God rather than on ourselves. Through prayer, we communicate. We worship, we express our thankfulness, we intercede for others, we look for guidance, we confess our sins. These things you know. But it's good to be reminded of them.
In this day and age, as a church, as in any other, we need to stand out. We need to be a witness. We need to be a beacon. We need to be a shining light. The world needs to see us living in this way. Living in the light of God's word. No compromise. And we've had to do that, haven't we? We've had petitions here about gay marriage. We've had to make some sort of a stand. It's not easy because it's very much going against the tide. Caring for each other. We sang that song, Love one another, for by this shall all men know you are my disciples. Be seen together, encouraging one another, looking after one another, and so on. Engaging in worship that is real, both in the way we live our lives and when we worship. In John, we're reminded our worship should be in spirit and in truth. And are we recognised as a people of prayer? Not just the prayer of asking for things, but the prayer that shows our every step is dependent upon God. You know, I believe if these things are neglected, we'll be ineffective as a church. We'll simply be going through the motions, regardless of what wondrous initiatives we might have and schemes we, not, we might uh, uh, devise. And when this happens, when we're seen to be uh, living in this way, when we're seen as church with all these uh, characteristics, there are consequences. We read that they witnessed signs and wonders. I know some people look for more tangible signs today. Tongues, healing, etc. But you know, we can't put those things before the fundamentals. We must begin with these things that we see here. And they found favour with the, with the people. They were recognised for who they were. Nobody could point the finger. Point the finger of hypocrisy. Point the finger of double standards. Point the finger of dishonesty and so on and so forth. They found favour with all the people. And there was church growth. But who grew the church? It says the Lord added to their number. The, the subject of our prayer might be church growth, but we're never going to build a church. We sang the song, for I'm building a people of power. The Lord said to the disciples, I will build my church. And we just need to be the people that are doing these things, living this way, that God might use us. And we'll be a part of it, a part of a great adventure. But there's no sense in which we can uh, do it. If we read on into the Acts, we discover the persecution soon follows. Some might say, well, the honeymoon was over, but it never stopped the church growing. And we're here today because of what took place all those years ago. We're not promised a, a life of ease, but we are promised to be given the ability, the gifts and the Holy Spirit power to live the life that God has planned for us. I'm going to conclude now. 
Let me encourage us as Five Head Baptist Church, or indeed from whatever church you're from today, to be true to what we have read and seen this morning as individuals to ensure that we are those who believe and have put our trust in Jesus and aspire to be active and present members of our church. We're going to um, sing now a song that Phil chose. O Church Arise, which is, um, when you see the words, you might think it was written some time ago, but actually a 